Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, everybody, to a new edition of Peachtree Post here on January 20th, 2017. My name's Jason Longshore. With me today, as always, Jarrett Smith. Jarrett, how you doing? I'm doing well, Jason. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, getting excited. We're just a couple days away from the start of Atlanta United's first ever preseason training camp. It's just mind-blowing that we're we're here and you're going to see footage on Monday of players in Atlanta United gear getting ready for the new season it's just it's crazy yeah um you know you mentioned in an article this morning that um go back to April 2014 and here we are um everything kicks up in a couple days really and it gets real very very real really quickly Uh, it was really really fun back in those days watching everything get revealed and we knew nothing we knew nothing about a name a logo a coach players anything and all we had basically was the framework or the foundation and here we are now with the house is pretty much finished we just kind of have to move into it so it's um it's been a long time in the making it's kind of weird that it's finally here yeah um it's been a long ride i mean we started uh dirty south soccer i can't even remember at this point it's been a while and just to see this this build over time, I mean, for those of us who were there on April 16th, 2014, and, you know, you know a team's coming, you don't have a name yet, you don't really have colors, it's just, it's all getting started. And now, you know, not quite three years later, we have 23 players under contract, uh, two more that are going to be in camp that were drafted and don't have a contract yet, along with potential signings along with academy players who will be joining this group in Bradenton for the first two weeks of preseason. It's uh, It's been quite a road to get here. And today what we wanted to do was really dig into the depth chart as, uh, as it currently is constructed and what to look for in preseason, especially in these first two weeks before there's games. Uh, you know, if you know the schedule, Atlanta will be playing in Chattanooga on February 11th and then playing three games in the Carolina Challenge Cup over in Charleston in the following two weekends. And that's your preseason schedule. So these first two weeks are important, and what we wanted to do was kind of lay the groundwork for what to watch for as a word starts coming out of Bradenton about how things are going. Yeah, it's a good good little preseason schedule for a first-year team. Go up to Chattanooga, try to expand that regional footprint, and do it in the house of a really solid, uh, I don't really want to call it minor league, but a, but a lower-level team who has really shown how to put together an amazing program. And then you go to your USL affiliate, who you just re-upped with in a really nice, fun city, which if you've never been to Charleston, if you can, I highly recommend going. Uh, it's a really fun place, really good food, nice scenery. Um, not to mention Atlanta will be there, as well as two other MLS clubs and your USL club that you will be paying attention to this year because they will have some of your players. And we'll be going over those players in a bit. When we get through the roster, there's going to be guys that end up at, U- at uh, the USL affiliate throughout the year uh, on and off, or maybe even most of the time there. It just depends on how the rest of the season shakes out. Yeah, that was some of the biggest news uh, this week was the re-upping of the affiliation with the Charleston Battery moving forward. Um, Last year, Atlanta partnered with Charleston. Atlanta was in a little bit different situation uh, last year because you didn't have a full roster and you had a few players like Alex Tambakis and then Jeffrey Atu uh, and Carlton and Goslin who went over there and trained. You had some some players who went over there because they didn't have an option. This year, it's different. You're going to be sending players over who are lower on the depth chart or need to get regular first team action. Um, And there's some different rules about how the affiliations work. Uh, One thing to keep in mind is that Atlanta can send academy players over to Charleston to play. Um, That's like what they did with, well, they didn't take advantage of it last year in terms of playing, but guys played in some of the friendlies. They didn't play in USL games. Uh, Lagos Kunga, Machol Chope, Goslin before he was signed, uh, I believe Carlton before he was signed, spent time in Charleston. Now, officially, Atlanta could send players like Lagos Kunga and Machop Chol 
to go play for Charleston in league matches. That's part of the affiliation. Yeah, and that's going to be something they take advantage of. Um, you know, we've seen the academy kids play, and they're really good, and you've seen the range of talent and how high it goes. And there's going to be instances where these kids need to get down there and play with a higher competition. You want to challenge them. You don't want them to get uh, – you don't want them to kind of get into a little bit of a rut or a lull playing against uh, age competition. Some of them need to be challenged. They need to be playing at a higher level. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see guys go over there. Um, I would – Personally, I'd be interested to see if Figueroa makes some USL appearance, appearances at some points, even if it's just to train, uh, if we're going to start throwing names out there. Um, Oconquo as well, in terms of guys who you just you want to see what they've got when you push them. So I'll be really looking forward to seeing who pops in and out of the academy, and it'll probably be names we don't even think of off the top of our heads. You want to put, you want to kind of, you want, I don't want to say distress, but you want to distress them a little bit by throwing them into an environment where they've got to sink or swim. Yeah. And we'll, we'll dig into the other side of the, you know, affiliation and things that happen as players start to get loaned over to Charleston. But the academy is a good starting point because one of the, the major pieces of Atlanta United's preseason down in Bradenton is going to be um, a number of academy players being part of that preseason. Um, Doug Roberson had, uh, I think he said six in the AJC uh, maybe a week ago. Will Parchman, MLSsoccer.com, talked to Carlos Bocanegra recently, and he actually tweeted out 10 to 20. Um, The schedule works out because the Academy will be playing the IMG Academy uh, at the end of this training stint in Bradenton. So, you know, other than than kids missing a little bit of school to chase their professional soccer dreams, that's that's kind of what we're looking at. The logistics work out. Um, we're waiting on Atlanta United to uh, announce or, or choose not to announce which academy players will be participating in the first team. But I think as you look at the depth chart and, and dig into it, you can kind of take some safe guesses about some of the academy guys we've talked about and some spots where, you know, maybe some extra depth could be useful and it could be an opportunity. And that's, that's the, the, the different mentality that I think Atata Martino and his staff will have, as opposed to some other MLS coaching staffs, where if a player is good enough, they're going to be part of the squad. If they're not good enough, they won't. It's not about the age. It's about, you know, a player, uh, for example, a Macho Chol, a winger, where wing is a, a spot that Atlanta United doesn't have a lot of depth right now, you know, would you possibly consider a homegrown signing of a player like that because he fits a need and he can hang at that level if he shows it? Yes. If he, if he shows he can do it, you will. It's not gonna, there's not going to be any fear of bringing young players into the squad. No, and it's something you have to balance as well with young guys because uh, it's kind of a blessing and a curse having this good a talent because you're dealing with guys who – are young, incredibly talented. Well, they're on national team call-ups. You've got it with Carlton being, you know, subject one a year of guys who you would love to see if they could get time consistently play. They've got national team call-ups. Miles Robinson's going to have national team call-ups. Uh, Brandon Vasquez is going to have national team call-ups. There are going to be times when they're gone. So you're going to need that depth, but you're also going to need to balance that depth with experience and with youth that can be there to play. And it's great that these guys are getting uh, the chance to go play for their country. Uh, but it does kind of leave a hole on the club side a bit. Sometimes when they're gone, that'll be something they need to balance and to make sure that they've got the appropriate depth to handle the rigors of this schedule. We've gone over it last week, and you can always read more on Dirty South Soccer. But the schedule didn't do Atlanta any favors, especially with the cross-country travel. It's going to be tough at times. It's going to be pretty arduous. So they're going to have to find that, strike that right balance. If you can play, you're playing. That's about where it is. Exactly. And that opportunity is going to start next week in Bradenton for a lot of young players that are going to have a chance to show where they are in comparison to the pros uh, in front of Tata Martino. So let's get started on the depth chart. Uh, First off, I'm going to ask anybody listening to us to go to DirtySouthSoccer.com, part of the SB Nation Network, and pull up the recent article that was posted about 10 minutes ago. on the depth chart. This is something uh, Rob Usri and myself have been working on for quite a while. And it gives you, you know, a starting point for looking at 
preseason and and where more acquisitions could be made, but also where, you know, to start looking at position battles and who might play and those sorts of things. So that article was just posted. Pull that up. Um, that's going to be a good starting point for this. And, Jared, we'll get started uh, in the back, um, as most good teams do. Let's build from the back forward. And goalkeeper. Uh, we do have the Brad Guzan uh potential acquisition acquisition looming over this position right now. Uh, but let's talk about who's going to be in camp. Khan, um, Tambakis, and Cap. Okay, so uh, I, I actually texted Jason this last night as we're going over all this. Um, as we're looking at this, all of the schedule and all of the, the depth chart, I texted him last night and I mentioned what a world it would be if Alec Khan just, they decide to go with him and he just shows out, and he looks like a number one goalkeeper, and they don't really need Brad Guzan, and here we are, like, saving of all this time and money and energy to bring in a guy, and then they realize Alec Khan is the guy. I would just be tickled by that world. Um, I'd also be kind of aggravated, to be honest. Uh, but Alec Khan is per- certainly capable of doing that, so if that's the direction they go, Alec Khan's going to be your one. Um, <clears throat> Alex Tenbach is well, I haven't had a chance to watch him personally. Uh, people who have watched him have had really positive things to say about his development down in Charleston last year, and that was what you wanted out of sending him to the USL, get more game time. Uh, the word I had heard is that he was inconsistent at times when he was <clears throat> early on in the season, and his consistency really picked up as he went along. He'd have games where he'd you know, uh, look a little bit flustered, but then he would just, you know, next time out, he just pick right into it, slide right in mentally and emotionally and be just fine. And uh, Cap, when it comes down to it, I wouldn't be shocked to see Cap either go out on loan or spend a lot of time in USL this year. Yeah, and, and let's keep in mind with Cap, uh, he is unsigned at the moment. So the draft pick players, uh, Miles Robinson was on a generation Adidas deal, so he was already signed coming in. Julian Gressel was already signed coming in. So those two players are under contract. Uh, Cap and the midfielder, Andrew Wheeler, Omiunu, is are unsigned, and they're going to have to earn a contract here in preseason. So Cap is in a situation, he's probably in the toughest situation, because if Guzan is acquired, it's going to make it very tough for Cap, unless, the club decides to loan Tambakis out to Charleston or somewhere else for the year to play rather than sit the bench, then you might keep cap as your number three. It's, it's a tough spot because teams don't generally keep four goalkeepers. You just don't have the roster space. So, you know, if we're looking at it as it stands now with Alec Khan as your number one coming into preseason, Alex Tambakis as your number two cap would be your three we just have to wait and see on Guzan. Um, reports out of Middlesbrough are, are still saying that if they find a replacement for him, that they'll let him go early. Otherwise, you'll have to wait till his contract is up um, in the summer. I've seen some, some differing reports on that. Uh, Transfermarkt actually has him signed through summer of 2018, but Middlesbrough newspapers are saying that he is out of contract at the, at the, in the summer. So, We'll have to see where that that goes, but by all accounts, he would be available to Atlanta on a free and be able to be signed using targeted allocation money in the summer. Um, but then you open up this possibility, like you just brought up. Alec Khan has a strong preseason. Alec Khan has a strong start to the MLS season. Maybe priorities change, and maybe things happen where Atlanta does not make that move for Guzan if they feel like Khan can can be the number one. He hasn't had the opportunity yet in his career, but in the limited time he had last summer at Sporting Kansas City, playing a good bit, he showed well. So, you know, it's kind of the unknown at this point. And I'm not saying he's McMath. I don't want to make that comparison because I don't want to put that on him, and I don't think it's fair right now just because he hasn't been able to prove himself yet. But, I mean, you've got guys like that who are really, really solid goalkeepers who are sitting behind starters, uh, and it would be – It'd be a nice little parallel if you end up with a guy like Alec Khan who uh, plays out of his mind for the first part of the season and then ends up having to sit behind a national team goalkeeper because that's totally possible. Of course, then you have, you know, how long do you plan on having Guzan? Um, do you, does, if Khan plays out of his mind and you end up bringing in Guzan anyway, do you have a trade ship with Khan? Do you, uh, 
have a trade chip with Guzan, depending on how long you have him here. What's your long-term plan at goalkeeper? Uh, it, the, the waters get a little muddied here. And, uh, but I feel like this is kind of where we were going to go when you got rid of Sean Johnson and you brought in the idea of Brad Guzan. Yeah. Um, it, it is just the huge unknown with Guzan because of his status. Khan uh, played six games last year in Kansas City. He went you know, about as, as even as you can get, two wins, uh, both shutouts, two draws, uh, and then two losses. So, you know, kind of all over the place, um, as Kansas City was a lot of last season. So let's, let's not put all that on Khan. Um, you know, there is the question, Tambakis, is he ready to challenge? If it's between him and Khan, can Tambakis push Khan to number two and Tambakis move up the chart? Uh, you know, a limited amount of, of video from Tambakis. I watched a good bit of Charleston last year, and he did get better every time I saw him. Um, early in the season, I was very worried about him on crosses. I was very worried about his confidence. That improved as the season went on, and I think you saw him play more as the season went on. So, you know, let's see how he comes into camp and performs. And and Cap is coming from, you know, two deep NCAA tournament runs, uh, first with Boston College, then he went to Creighton for his final year. Uh, good size. You know, he's got all the attributes. He just, you know, you never know how college players are going to adapt. And, you know, you would never expect him to come in and be the number one, but can he come in and, and earn a contract and, and give Atlanta some difficult decisions in what happens at goalkeeper. He, he absolutely can. Um, I guess let's, let's, let's say at goalkeeper, you know, to be determined because we don't know about yeah. the Guzan situation right now. Uh, but it is a prime opportunity for Khan and Tambakis to, to show what they can do and, and give, you know, Carlos Bocanegra and Tata Martino some things to think about when it comes to goalkeeper. Yeah. And I, I, it's it's there are worse problems to have. Now I get that they're not both not extensively proven at the top level like you might want them to be, but there are worse problems to have other than uh, we have these young, potentially exciting goalkeepers and we don't know what to do with all of them. Yeah, yeah, things could be worse definitely. Um, let's move on to outside back. Uh, we have three dedicated options at outside back um, along with some guys who can fill in in spots. Greg Garza is a lock on the left side. He will be yep. starting left back on opening day, barring any injury. I think it was, I, I think it was, uh, I think it was, I think it was Rob or you, you or Rob said he is about as big as close of a lock as you're going to get on this roster right now. Yeah, that was Rob. I got to give him credit on that one. Um, but I agree completely. Garza is, is the guy on the left side. I feel like Mark Bloom is the guy on the right side. I think he's the best fit for what Tata Martino is going to want his outside backs to do in getting forward and being able to press the opposition. Uh, Zach Lloyd will also be in the, the running at right back, but that's going to depend on what happens at center back, and we'll get there in a minute. Uh, Mikey Ambrose is more of an option on the left, but he can also fill in on the right, so he's your, you know, your utility outside back. And then – uh, we talked about Lloyd on the right. Chris McCann can also fill in on the left, depending on where things go in the midfield or if, if Garz is away for anything. So outside backs, fairly cut and dried. I feel like they could use some more depth here. And as you start to fill in the final roster positions, it would not surprise me to see an additional outside back signed, especially one who might be more of a true backup on the right side. Yeah, and I think I'd be comfortable with that personally, just to have someone else there, um, just to handle the rigors of the season, just so you're not asking Garza to do everything, uh, every single night out for 90 minutes. That just seems like a lot of stress to put on a guy. Um, yeah, <clears throat> um, Mark Bloom, who people in Atlanta will be familiar with. Um, you got Mikey Ambrose there. And then you get into, uh, as you brought in Chris McCann, and we'll get into this when we get into the center backs and the defensive midfield as well, but there's a lot of pieces on this team that are interchangeable. This puzzle fits a lot of different ways, especially in the defensive midfield and really throughout the entire midfield. Because you could run McCann out there conceivably at three different positions. You could run Jeff, L Jeff uh, Lorenowitz out there at two or three different positions this puzzle fits a lot of different ways. So that the flexibility with what Martino is going to do, assumedly is 
it, it makes it easier with, especially I think, a, I think it makes it easier with a young roster that isn't loaded down with years of development and signings and guys kind of sitting on the back burner. Exactly. And the versatility is the key here. And, and we'll, we'll get through it as we get further up this roster. There are a lot of players who can fill a lot of spots and that was by design. Uh, let's move on to center back and the options Atlanta will have there. Uh, Michael Parkhurst is an absolute lock to be your, your starter on at one of the center back positions. And personally, I feel like he is your front runner for captain of, of the squad. I think he's going to be the expected leader to, to organize the back and really organize the squad. He is a, a prime candidate for that. The other two dedicated center backs on this roster are Zach Lloyd and Miles Robinson. Um, as I wrote uh, yesterday over at soccerdownhere.net, and we'll talk about that in a little while, uh, Miles Robinson will be away for quite a bit of the first half of the season with the U-20 national team. Now, things can change. Uh, he's in training camp with the U-20s right now. They have another training camp ahead of the CONCACAF championship, which is also your qualifiers for the World Cup, um, that will start January 31st. And then that tournament is in February and runs through the beginning of March. Uh, the, the finals actually March 5th day of the MLS opener. So if Miles Robinson stays with the U20s, he will be away for most of the preseason. And then you'll have the world cup to deal with, which is early in the season in May and early June. And then of course there'll be a training camp before that. So, you know, some of the uh, talk about Miles Robinson being a starter on day one, I think is, is very unfair and not looking at, at his, his potential calendar. I mean, he's a 19 year old kid um, coming into MLS off of a two year starting role at Syracuse, throw the U 20 side out of it. That's a lot to ask for a young player. Now factor in that he will be back and forth between the U 20 national team and trying to build a rapport with Michael Parkhurst and Mark Bloom and Greg Garza that's a lot to ask. I think where Robinson will be a contributor, it'll be in the second half of the season, not the first half. So that leaves you with Zach Lloyd right now and the potential acquisition of Estudiantes Leandro Gonzalez Perez, which seems to be imminent, um, but it's been a bit of a slow process. He's been out of training with Estudiantes, so there's a lot of thought that, okay, that's a precursor to a move, and we're just kind of waiting to see. Yeah, that's that's I think that's a big <clears throat> a big move that kind of anchors down this line if you bring him in. As it does add more stability and more depth to the back line. I feel like it doesn't put as much pressure on Robinson. And like you said, there's a lot going on in this kid's life. He's nineteen. Uh he was the second overall pick in what was a bit of a crazy draft at the top end. It ended up being it ended up looking really normal. Like the no, third pick traded, that's fine. No, it was weird for like three days coming up to the draft. No one had a clue what the hell was going to happen. Um, he he's got a lot going on in his life. I mean, he's going to play for the uh, the U twenties, so that's it's very exciting for him. Um, yeah, you, I think you're right though. You don't want to force him into just playing right away. Um, because no matter what stereotypes people may want to believe about the MLS, uh, I really don't. I'm ner- I would be nervous about asking a 19-year-old center back to try and stay with some of the strikers and uh, wandering midfield attacking hell demons that reside in the MLS, especially in the East. Um, it's. I'd feel more comfortable with established guys, and I and I mentioned the, this to Jason. I'd be fine if I'd be fine if Robinson tied himself to somebody like Parker's hip and just learn from the veteran. You don't have to start right away. Um, you're not expected to come in here and be a Kyle Aaron or an, or a Dunlady and just jump in day one and start being amazing off the bat. It's okay if it takes you a little bit of time to get acclimated, especially when you're not going to be here for training camp and you might miss a good chunk of the season with the World Cup. That's okay. And I think Carlos Bocanegra has really set that up um, in all of his comments after the draft about Robinson is one they're not planning to rush. Um, that makes me feel like the Gonzalez-Perez signing is is pretty much a done deal, um, just finalizing everything to get him in. If for some reason that fell through, I think you will see a 
fairly high-level center back come in to play with Parkhurst, and Lloyd will be your utility center back slash right back um, and, and play a good bit because Michael Parkhurst is getting older. You'll want to find times for him to rest. Um, you'll want to find squad rotation, and Zach Lloyd will be a very valuable piece of that. But when you start to look at the depth further down and you look at some players you can fill in at center back, uh, two guys you have to consider are Jeff Lorenowitz and Chris McCann. McCann hasn't played as much at center back, but in a in a pinch, I feel like he can help you there. Jeff Lorenowitz played a great deal at center back uh, with the Chicago Fire, and then last year he went back into the midfield with the LA Galaxy. He would be fine in a center back role when needed. Uh, Lorenowitz will be kind of that uh, that glue guy and fill in holes and wherever it is in the defensive midfield or center back, or even potentially a little further up the field, Lorenowitz will fill those holes in. Yeah. If you bring in uh Perez, I'm not as worried about this, this little setup. And this is a, uh, and just, just for posterity in case you, in case you're joining us late, this is assuming we're looking at something resembling a four, one, four, one with this formation, which, you know, you can call it what you will. You can call it a four, five, one, if you want to, however you want to really look at it. Um, it's going to be a fluid thing no matter what, just because of the personnel and Martino. This could change in a game. He could come out with something different one game. Um, but the way we're looking at it is kind of a 4-1-4-1 setup, so, uh, just so we're clear. But, yeah, center back, I'm, especially if you bring in Perez, I'm fine. I really don't have a ton of complaints. You've got a veteran. You've brought in a quality young-ish starter. You've got more veteran depth, and you have the number over two, number two overall pick and the consensus best defender coming out of college this year, who is might be away on national team duty, but who slots in down the road to be an impact center back to anchor your line. I'm okay with all of this. Yeah, I like the I like the building process here. Um, the biggest, you know, like we talked about at goalkeeper, there is that question of Gonzalez Perez and. If for some reason, if, if that falls through, I think you'll see a similar type of player brought in to pair with Michael Parkhurst. So as Jarrett said, uh, don't get hung up on, on formation and all that. That's why we're talking in position groups, because you'll see things mixed and matched a bit, especially as we get into the midfield. So, you know, it's going to be three central midfielders. There's going to be two wingers. There's going to be one forward. That is fairly understood at this point about your basic Tata Martino system, but will it be two defensive midfielders and one attacking? Will it be one defensive two attacking? Will it be want to get even deeper? Is it one number six and two number eights? Is it a six and eight and a 10 million different ways this can happen. So we're just going to talk in position groups today and we'll get further along as we go. If you have any questions, don't hesitate. Hit us on Twitter at Peachtree underscore post. You can hit me specifically on Twitter at Longshoe and Jarrett over at Jarrett underscore Smith. So let's dig in central midfield. This is where the, the most important pieces of a Tata Martino system are. This and is where the money is. This is absolutely where things will happen. Uh, we are under the assumption that in a perfect world, Martino would like to play a defensive midfielder and two more attacking options, but we'll, we'll talk about specifics there in a second. So if I was picking a starting lineup for a game tomorrow with what we have, it would be Chris McCann at defensive midfield at the number six, and it'd be Miguel Almiron and Yamil Assad in front of him. Um, Almiron, as I've, I've said many, many times, I think his best role is as a number eight. You don't want to take away his box-to-box option. You don't want to take away what he can give you defensively and you don't want to take away that work rate. You want him picking up the ball deep and running at players. So Almiron will be more of your box to box. And Assad is a little bit more of an attacking, uh, not quite a 10, but more of an attacking eight because he can do some of the box to box work as well. That would be my, my starting group. Um, let's, let's start at defensive midfield first. Uh, McCann, I feel like is the, the penciled in starter coming into training camp. Jeff Lorenowitz factors in here, as does Kevin Kratz. Um, Harrison Heath could as well, but he's been in, in a little bit more of in a, a box-to-box or attacking yeah, he's, role. He's kind of got more of that flying eight kind of vibe. 
a little bit more. Um, we need to see where he fits in this. And you'll, you might see some players that we think will be in one type of role end up in a different just because Martino is going to be asking them to do different things than they've done. So we might see that he might be more suited to a six. I think the the chart at defensive midfield at the six is McCann, Lorenowitz, and Kratz. I'm comfortable with that. Um, like Jason said, in this instance, you're looking at a six, a flying eight, and an eight slash ten. So for your center mid, for all we know, that you push the wings up later and you end up with a four three three, a glorified four three three. So again, don't get caught up on formations. Let's just look at personnel groups right now. Um, yeah, McCann. I feel like McCann has been slotted into this spot now for a while. That this is what he's going to be. He's going to be. Uh, he's going to be your last line of defense, or should I say, your first line of defense before you get to that back line. Um, I'm going to start a counter to keep how many yellow cards he gets this year as that uh, first line of defense, and I'm really excited about this. Uh, Lorenowitz slots in nicely. Lorenowitz, he could fit in a lot of different places. Uh, and then you got Kratz. I mean, the defensive mid feels really cut and dry to me, unless something weird happens. Yeah, and that's what's been a little surprising. Some of the uh, the national talk, maybe it's just not knowing what McCann might bring to the table, but thinking that we don't have anyone who can play as a six by themselves. Uh, I feel like McCann can do that based off what I've seen and, and what's been said about what he's bringing to the table. He'll have to prove that. And if he can, that opens up more opportunities for this team going forward. Um, so let's keep that in mind. I think Martino has typically liked to play one six and then two more attacking options. So he will play two sixes if needed, but I think he'd rather play a six by themselves and then the two attacking options, hence the 4-1-4-1 four, one, four, one type of look. So oh, Don't get it wrong. If he decides he wants to park the bus, he's going to pull he's gonna pull an eight off, and he's going to put Lorenowitz on there as a six with McCann. <laughs> yeah. Atlanta's going to shore up a bunker like you haven't seen. And that's what gets back to the, the tactical flexibility with these guys. So you have lots of options. Um, as you mentioned, uh, McCann will pick up cards. McCann will miss games due to suspension. So having Jeff Lorenowitz, having Kevin Kratz, and even possibly Harrison Heath who can fill in those roles will be very, very important moving forward. Um, now, now, that Cor- Kyle, now that Kyle Korver's gone, can we do like the card counter since the Korver counter's gone? The, 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 oh, we need something with, to go with McCann to keep the alliteration. Um, yeah. I'll work yeah, on if it. you have any – yeah, work on it, and you guys listen. If you have any ideas, throw them our way. Uh, let's look at the two more attacking options in the central mid. Um, Almiron and Assad, I think, are the guys penciled in to start. Almiron is, is you know, no questions asked starting. I, I feel like Assad was brought in here to be the, the counter to Almiron. So I feel like they're going to be your two starters. Um, other options here, Kratz again. Kratz can – Kratz can pretty much play anywhere in the five midfield options. Uh, Julian Gressel as well, and Bocanegra mentioned many times in post-draft interviews about Gressel's flexibility and that he can contribute in the midfield uh, now. So he could – I don't think it'll be more as the defensive midfielder, but the eight, the ten on the wings up top, I think Gressel can factor in. We talked about Heath. Uh, consider Chris Goslin here too, but also as we talked about with Miles Robinson, Chris Goslin and Andrew Carlton, who are both part of the USU 17 youth national team, will have national team duties this year with uh, CONCACAF qualifying and then a World Cup later. So their availability will be a little more limited. And then the last option here, uh, in my opinion, is Andrew Wheeler Omiunu, the, the unsigned draft pick from Harvard. Uh, not quite sure where he factors in. He wasn't a goal scorer at Harvard. Uh, most reports had him as a very smart player, uh, a leader. He was a captain on that team. Um, technical, uh, hard worker, can play on both sides of the ball. So I'm kind of thinking that he might fill that that eight role in the squad. And like we said, he's he's an unsigned draft pick, so he's going to have to come in and earn a contract. And he's got a lot of competition with Kratz and Heath and, and Goslin and Lorenowitz and McCann. So let's see where he fits and, and what he can do in these first two weeks in Bradenton. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of, I think it was last year, 
at one point Seattle played Dallas in a game where Dallas picked up red cards. It was pretty much a set. It was pretty much done. And Seattle won big, and it wasn't a reflection of the fact that Dallas put a lot of academy guys on the field and a lot of young guys to get talent. Now, I'm not saying I ever want to get in that situation, but if it does, I'd be really interested to see if Wheeler and Heath and Gressel really get a lot of playing time, uh, or even Goslin and O2 going down the road <clears throat> when we get to that if they end up getting a lot of playing time in, in a game where it kind of gets away from them as a team, it kind of gets away from the team. Uh, because these guys, they're young, and they're kind of wild cards. Like, I wonder how Harrison Heath fits into this, how he doesn't get lost in the shuffle. I'd be interested to hear about how he does in training, because, you know, they did bring him in, but that midfield is loaded with talent, and it's a lot of very flexible talent that can play all over the place. Uh I'm really interested to see how he avoids getting kind of lost in the shuffle a bit. Yeah. One thing to keep in mind when you look at Heath, you look at Kratz, you look at Gressel, um, those three guys specifically here, you know, young Kratz is a little bit older. Kratz is okay. Let's put Kratz out of this. He, he played in the Bundesliga. He's got experience. Heath and Gressel, I think are two to consider and, and Gressel's a little bit older than Heath, but they both have a lot of experience in professional academy situations. You know, Harrison Heath is 20 years old. He's played uh, six games in MLS with Orlando City. He's played in the USL. But he came up through Norwich, and he was part of their FA Youth Cup uh, winning team in 2013. Gressel came up through German professional academies before he came over to Providence. So they're young players, but they're not the typical young players that come into this league. Uh, They're both going to be expected to have a fairly high level of technical ability. They're both going to be expected to be a little bit further along tactically than, than maybe other players coming in from college or young players. And I think with Gressel specifically, that was mentioned by Bocanegra about his experience level and his age is going to help him get on the field quicker. Um, and that's what they see from him as a player who can play really five different spots in this squad. And Kratz is similar and Heath could fill, you know, two or three different spots. That's very, very important moving forward. Um, and it, it really says a lot about what is important with this team. We've talked about the speed. We've talked about the flexibility, the passing ability, that technical ability and that background is also important in the players Atlanta United's brought in. So let's move on to the wingers. Um, This is another area that I think we could see an acquisition before opening day. And I think we could also see probably a depth move, a big acquisition and a depth move before opening day. Cause it's, it's fairly thin with dedicated wingers. There's guys who can fill in roles, but Let's start with the, the dedicated guys, and that's Tito Vishalba on the right wing. I think that's a lock, um, yeah. unless you flip him over to the other side for whatever reason. But he's a right winger by trade. Jacob just Peterson. Just to piss everybody off. Yeah, and probably that's what will happen. Um, <laughs> Jacob Peterson on the left, I think, is, is who is your opening day starter as the roster is currently constructed. Uh, Andrew Carlton, same thing we said about Goslin and Robinson. He's going to be away with the U-17s some this season so let's let's slow the roll on how much he's going to contribute in 2017 um but beyond Vishalba and Peterson then you're looking at players who fill a few different roles uh, Romario Williams can play wide on the right Jeffrey Atu can play wide on the left and and one thing to keep in mind here when we talk about these wingers this is not a traditional right mid or left mid in a 4-4-2 where there is a lot of defensive responsibility put on them these are borderline forwards. So yeah. they're going to play very high up the pitch. So you can put a Williams or an O2 who are more of a forward in these positions and it will be fine. They will have cover. They will have cover from the defensive midfielder. They will also have cover from the eights who are playing in the middle and the outside backs will be expected to cover that. These will, will not be your two way wide midfielders. These are much closer to a wide forward. Yeah. That's like a, mentioned earlier it's there are times it's going to look more like a 4-3-3 with these guys getting forward in the attack and you know your two eights or your eight and ten whatever kind of holding down a triangular midfield with your six um yeah Vajalba is there that's set in stone if there's a spot that you fill that third dp slot i'm 
banking that it's that left wing at this point. So I think um, I think that's the place you go and fill it with. Not any slight to Peterson, but if you can get a real big impact name out there, then I think you do it. Um, you already missed out on one big impact name because China came calling, which is really nothing new over the last few weeks for the rest of the world to speak of, really. Um, yeah, Andrew Carlton's uh, – I mean, look at the guys who are going over there. My goodness. When that Chinese bubble breaks, it's going to be – it's just going to be spectacular. Um, you got Andrew Carlton. Like you said, he's going to be away on duty. Um, how quickly do you throw him in the pot, though, is kind of one of the questions because everyone is excited for Andrew Carlton. Um, you and Rob, I think, have done a really good job. Staff over at, the, uh, at DSS have done a really good job, I think, of kind of tamping down expectations, not necessarily to uh, to be a Debbie Downer, but just to be realistic about it, that he's going to be gone for part of the year. He's going to have to adjust. This isn't going to be something he jumps right in and is an MVP candidate. So let's slow our roll a little bit. Let's be more realistic. Yeah, I think that's very important uh, looking at this. And that's why we wanted to do this today to kind of give a, a good background of where things sit. Um, I agree. I think left wing, if you're looking at uh, the third designated player right now, that would be the spot that would make the most sense without moving other pieces around. You could go uh, central attacking mid or number 10 with that spot now, and that would force Almiron out wide or Assad out wide and Vishalba possibly flipping over to the left. You could go that way, but the players that are are being linked at the moment are left wingers. Uh, Darwin Quintero is one who can also play up top. Uh, that seems to have quieted down just a bit after he scored a just golazo with Club America this week. Another one that's popped up, and, and we're trying to get more information, is Carlos De Pena. He is another Middlesbrough player. Uh, so maybe he comes over with Guzan. Maybe they just... Uh, come together. I don't know. Uh, he's a left winger. He's Uruguayan. He came to Middlesbrough from uh, Nacional in Uruguay, where he played 73 games, scored 17 goals, 14 assists. Could be a loan, um, according to uh, reports out of England, but they also said that MLS teams couldn't afford the 2.5 million pound transfer that I believe Middlesbrough paid Nacional, and they don't know anything about Mucha Plata. So no. I think that could, yeah, that's, that's an easy one. If, if Atlanta chose to do it, uh, not he hasn't that played in, yeah, seriously, he hasn't played in the premier league this year. He's played in EFL trophy and U 23 games, uh, 24 years old. He does have experience in the Copa Libertadores and the Copa Sudamericana, South American competition. Pacey, you know, strong dribbler. Uh, he's a passer, uh, fits, checks all the boxes. Um, I don't think he would be a designated player. I think he might be more of a TAM option. Uh, but if you're then getting into how many TAM options do you have, I don't know how much TAM you have to go Guzan and DePena as TAM guys. You might be running low on TAM. I don't know because we don't know how much TAM they have. I think they have a lot, but that's too – I think Guzan will be a lot of TAM, and we don't know how much – Depena will be uh, if that happens. So let's just keep an eye on that one. Uh, Carlos Depena out of Middlesbrough, left winger who hasn't played in the Premier League, has been linked to Atlanta, to San Jose, and to Minnesota. So let's see what's up there. Yeah, there's. Remember, remember, we are about to start camp, and there's still one more DP slot. This could get filled really quickly, and that might be it. That might be a Tam signing. Who knows? Um, it could just come out one day. Uh, who knows? It could be Monday afternoon. We hear, oh, Atlanta's locked in on so-and-so or such-and-such for a DP slot. And by Wednesday, the uh, the video is popping up on uh, Atlanta United's Twitter feed and popping up on your Snapchat, whatever it is kids are using these days. Nice. It could. Um, this is going to happen quickly because I think in a perfect world, they want to bring in this third designated player as soon as possible so they can integrate into the squad but you never know how these things go. You look at the three players that are not part of this team yet that have been mentioned in Guzan, in uh, Gonzalez-Pirez, and in De Pena. All of them fill the needs that we've talked about today. So they would be uh, obvious fits 
and they would make the squad even better than it already is. Uh, running a little bit low on time, let's move up to the forward line. Um, yep. We think predominantly Atlanta will play with one striker, and like we said, the wingers will push high to, to give the impression of three. But central striker Kenwin Jones is the, the obvious option to start as your number nine. Brandon Vasquez will be in the same boat as Miles Robinson as a potential U-20 national team player and be away for a great deal of the, the first part of the season. That means you have Julian Gressel, Jeffrey Atu, and Romario Williams all competing to back Jones up. Gressel is the more obvious uh, backup for Jones. He played as more of a target forward uh, last year at Providence. He played midfield predominantly in his history before that, but injuries and just the way the squad was at Providence last year, he played up top and he scored 15 goals. So he has that option. Um, O2 and Williams are not target forwards. They are much more of the speedy, you know, possibly better fits out wide. So with Vasquez being away with the U20s, Gressel has a prime opportunity here, again, as a backup and an option up top for Kenwin Jones. Yeah, Kenwin, I feel bad for Kenwin. I feel like we've forgotten about Kenwin. We signed him and everyone got excited. <laughs> He's just kind of drifted to the back, the back burners. Um, now, Kenwin's still here. Kenwin's still going to be your target. Vasquez will be your target. Gressel's, Gressel was an interesting move because when they got him on draft day, I remember looking and going, did not expect that. And the more and more I looked at it, the more I went, okay. Like you said, he's played that nine. He's played that target role before. He's comfortable doing it, uh, we assume. Uh, they brought him in here to be flexible, and he fits every – he checks all the boxes, as, we, as, we, as you've been saying. Um, this is another position where it gets really interesting in a couple of years. How long does Kenwin Jones stay here? Does Brennan Vasquez de- develop into this freak of nature? Does Gressel develop? I've seen people with their bold predictions that Gressel starts racking up goals this year, and I don't think that's an entirely irrational take to have. Like if if the cards fall right for Gressel, because I love Kenwin, but Kenwin has had a, a history with trying to stay healthy. If Gressel gets in there and starts just racking up goals on goals on goals at that target position, getting unlocked and 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 successfully finishing, I don't think that's an irrational take at all to say that he could be. Uh, just a home wrecker around the league with what he's capable of doing. So um, this will be interesting this year. It'll be interesting even more so in a couple of years when we kind of figure out where everybody's going and uh, what the roster looks like down the road. Yeah. You mentioned something I want to come back to uh, because it. it was something that jumped out to me uh, in Carlos Bocanegra's interview on counterattack on Sirius XM after the draft. They and this is one reason they took Gressel at you know 23 years old. They did not want to create roadblocks for their academy. So you look at where some of the players fit, and you look at where you know down the line where players from the academy might fill in. They want to have an open run for some of these guys. They they don't want to you know go get. So let's say uh, they feel like. Lagos Kunga, who was uh, just called up to the U.S. U-19s. So they don't want to go get a 20-year-old central attacking midfielder that would be blocking Kunga's development over time when they feel like Kunga could turn into that role. So they're going to look at a 25, 26-year-old guy there or something. You know what I mean? So Gressel's older. He's not blocking anybody out of the academy. Robinson was the right signing, the right draft pick at two as a 19-year-old because there's not as many center backs that are pressing right now. You have Figueroa. You have uh, some guys at the U16 squad. But there wasn't somebody right there. Um, Up top, again, you have Brandon Vasquez. So, you know, Vasquez is your long-term option up top. Then behind him in the academy, you have a Conquo, you have James Brighton. You have other guys that will come up and press these guys. But you want to create that progression, and you want to create that opportunity for players to get signed and get time. You don't want to create a roadblock situation where you have talented kids coming up and out of the academy, but there's nowhere for them to go on the first team. And they've yeah, been very thoughtful in creating this roster. No, that's exactly I agree completely. That's uh, it's a great point to make is that they didn't create roadblocks. By the way, I was convinced for half a second when uh, when he didn't go third that Jeremy Ubobisi was just going to keep dropping like a rock, and Atlanta would have a shot at him to move up and get him. 
<laughs> that would have been the insanity of the draft if that had happened. Uh, I still can't wait to hear stories down the road of, of what caused Ebba Bise to fall to four um, and, and kind of what the thinking was. And let's see what happens with, with him and with Lewis at NYCFC. He'll be another U20 guy and be away a good, good part of the season. Um, and Dan Lottie and see, you know, if Dan Lottie was the right pick up top. Uh, one question I wanted to get to uh, from uh, not a listener today, but will be listening on, on the podcast later. Uh, Joseph May asked about thoughts de- of, on designated player at left wing. We've, we've talked about that, but to do that and then let Assad and Gressel battle at that central attacking mid secondary striker type of role, that more of a 10 role in midfield. Personally, I think Gressel's value to the team as it sits right now will be that option off the bench that can fix things. So if, if Jones is having a tough day or gets injured and you have to make a switch, Gressel's your guy who can go in as a number nine. If you need to pull one of your central midfielders to give a more attacking option, you can bring on Gressel there. Gressel could play out wide in a pinch. I think his value at the beginning of the season will be that guy, that first attacking option off the bench. So it makes more sense for him to be there than to start and then not have a a true replacement for Jones off the bench. When you start to think about game day roster construction, that's very important. So in my opinion, Gressel's more valuable on the bench to start with Assad in the starting lineup and then you can fix what you need to fix with Gressel either up top or in the attacking mid or even wide if you need to. That's where what Gressel brings to the table. Yeah, I think that's a great fit for him. I mean, you mentioned it, the flexibility, and that's kind of the overarching theme of this entire roster construction as we've gone over is the flexibility of the roster. That's fine with me. I mean, if that means that we get – uh, Gressel being kind of a super sub, if you want to call him that, where he comes on in games and kind of adjusts to the game and adjusts the formation of the team to the game. It's fine with me. And it fits. Like you said, he can fit into the system. And you're also not blocking anybody because this academy is really good. We don't know who's going to make it out of the academy onto the first team in the next year, next two years, because we've already gotten a sneak peek and a taste of the 18s and the 16s. Um, in a few years, they're going to have some decisions to make. And I look forward to seeing them make these decisions because a lot of them are, they're the kind of problems you want to have with a roster construction where you've got uh, plenty of guys to fill spaces and you can kind of take the best of them and put them on homegrown contracts. Yeah, it's it's been set up really, really well and with a long-term vision. And you know, we always talk about the comparisons between Atlanta and Minnesota, and, and that's a big part of the difference is Atlanta is already a year or two ahead in thinking about, you know, guys like Kunga, like Figueroa, like Okonkwo, um, like Brighton, like Kendall Edwards of the U16, guys who are, you know, already participating in youth national teams or performing very, very well at the academy level and could factor into your first team down the road. They're already planning for that. Whereas, you know, Minnesota is still just trying to fill out a roster. So I feel like everything so far has been very strong. I feel like this team has been built for immediate success and long-term success. And I'm very happy to have the difference in Atlanta of the talk surrounding will this team make the playoffs year one and having, you know, Lexi Lawless and, and Stuart Holden and others chime in with, with Doug Roberson and the AJC on that compared to uh, a quote that came out yesterday from Adrian Heath in Minnesota saying that they expect to be a top level team in three years. You know, that that's the thrashers mentality in my opinion of we're an expansion team. So it's going to take a while and that's okay. Whereas here, that's not acceptable. And I, it's refreshing. I like it. And I like what Arthur Blank on down have done with the squad to create that excitement from the jump with these signings and with this roster that is not complete, but is looking pretty good headed into preseason training next week. 
Yeah, um, we've mentioned it before. People have mentioned it. It's MLS 3.0. If this goes off well and you start seeing development down the road, call it MLS 3.0. That's what Atlanta's ushering in, and I, I yeah. feel like LASC will, will help kick that up you know, a notch as well next year. But this is an, a new day for for MLS with what Atlanta is doing. Um, and they've, they've jumped ahead of some existing teams, I think with the, the way they're building this roster and some of the decisions they're making. So it's a, it's a big deal. And we're, you know, excited to be on the ride along with, with the rest of the city uh, and the rest of the soccer community in Atlanta as to what is happening here. Speaking of that, a um, couple things I wanted to uh, plug on Sunday, uh, this Sunday, one thirty at the Righteous Room on Johnson Ferry. It's a football trivia charity event. It's presented by the Chelsea Supporters Club of Atlanta and ATL Soccer Con, which uh, Jarrett and I will be part of. The proceeds benefit uh, the Fuji's family, which is a a great Atlanta-based nonprofit uh, you might have seen in the book uh, Outcasts United, or you might have seen uh, featured in the New York Times a few years ago. Great nonprofit um, that does great work with the refugee community in DeKalb County. Uh, 1.30 on Sunday. You can find more details on Facebook at ATL Soccer Cons Facebook and the Chelsea Supporters Club of Atlanta. Um, uh, great event, uh, and check that out. Also, ATL Soccer Con will be this year, March 25th, uh, 1 p.m. at One Touch Soccer on the west side of town. Early bird tickets are on sale now, and go to atlsoccercon.com for more details there. Uh, I'm excited about this year's soccer con last year was a, a great first event for us. Um, and thanks to Austin and Jr. who really do all of the, the behind the scenes work on this. I just come in and do some panels and talk as I'm prone to do. And uh, I'm excited this year because I'm working on something really highlighting the earliest days of Atlanta soccer. I've found a, a researcher who's done some some great, great work, and we're going to have some pieces uh, coming soon on Dirty South Soccer talking about the earliest days of soccer in the city. And, and you know, I think it's a cool time to look back at that with MLS coming to town in 2017. Hey, that, that, that pro rail panel is going to be lit. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, jeez. You had to go there. You had to go there. I need a gong here in my, my home studio that I can just bang on whenever Pharrell is mentioned. Um, but yes, <laughs> I'd be happy to get go. that. Um, uh, go ahead. No, no, I mean, we went last year. I uh, had a really good time. Um, last year was weird, though. It was, it was at the brewing. It was at a, it was at a brewery. So this year, I mean, it's going to be a little bit different. Um, we hope everybody comes out and has a good time. Just it's fun to get to talk and to, talk to people you interact with on a, on a digital level and then to get to talk to people in person and to see everybody out there last year, the attendance for a first year event that was kind of spread through social media was fantastic. So, yeah. And um, we'll have a lot to talk about this year with it being oh, yeah. uh, a couple of weeks into the MLS season. So the other uh, big announcement, we're saving it for the very end here. Uh, there'll be more coming online here shortly. Uh, if you haven't seen uh, my new project, SoccerDownHere.net, uh, check that out. Follow us on Twitter at SoccerDownHere. Uh, Jarrett's even going to write for it as well, uh, covering oh yeah, I'm no, very frightening. Sorry. Covering soccer in the South um, with a special focus on Atlanta, but covering the whole region. Uh, the big announcement today is we will be starting a new daily morning show in this time slot, the 10 to 11 time slot over at soccer down here and links will be forthcoming. It will be on blog talk radio, but it will be a daily show Monday to Friday, one hour uh, soccer down here, me and Jarrett plus uh, special guests, hopefully from Atlanta United's training camp next week. So thanks to everybody who you know has helped us get to this point. Uh, you know, we, we love doing this show. We love talking to you guys every week and now you're going to get more of us each week. If this is your own faults. You're all responsible for this. You have no one to blame <laughs> yeah, but yourself. You have no one to blame but yourself. So uh, we'll talk to you guys on Monday. Um, thanks for listening and mucha plata. Mucha plata.